What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by Alex Lewin, who is a Lightning developer. I got to meet him in person while I was at Satsby during South by Southwest at Pleb Lab and the Bitcoin Commons. Got to get to know him, talked to him a couple times on the live streams as well. So overall, uh, just great stuff out of him. We go deep into the Lightning Network. We start very surface level, understanding what it is, some of the issues and some of the other things surrounding it. Uh, and as a developer, he's deep in the weeds of it all. So he brings outstanding, outstanding insights and where there are some trouble points for, for Lightning and maybe some adoption as well. So be sure to tune in as another action-packed episode with the man, the myth, the legend, the champ, two-time sats by hackathon champ, Alex Lewin. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe wherever you get podcasts. If you're listening to this on any audio source like Fountain, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you, please, please, please hit that subscribe button. And if you haven't already checked it out, check out my YouTube channel. You could see my pretty face. I'm going to be putting up clips of episodes, shorts, all those kind of things. So be sure to tune in on that. And lastly, this is not financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast should not be taken as financial advice. So now let's get into the episode. Whoosh. Bing bong. I am live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And I'd like to thank everybody streaming me sats or sending me boosts on any podcasting 2.0 app. I really do appreciate it. We I, This past week, I had a bunch of people streaming me sats, but but no boost. So if you want me to uh, read out something next time you listen to the show, you got a comment or something like that, some feedback, a boost would be greatly appreciated. And then I'd also like to thank my sponsors. So brand new sponsor, breaking news, Bitcoin Miami 2023. It is the biggest Bitcoin uh, conference in the country. And now I can help you get there for a little bit cheaper. You could save 10% on your ticket to Bitcoin Miami by using promo code green candle. So use that extra 10% that you, uh, that you would have used for a ticket and use that to stack more sats, man. Um, and to stack more sats, put it in cold storage and store that seed phrase with coddle co. So that's coddle C O D L dot C O best punch plates in the game. Use promo code green candle. That's all lowercase. The Bitcoin Miami, all uppercase, all caps. Use that to buy your ticket and then uh, save that 10%. Put it, put your corn in cold storage and use a punch plate from coddle.co to stack those sats. Now I've got a very special guest. I got two time hackathon champion, uh, Alex Lewin here. What's up champ? How you doing? Uh, it's going well. It's going well. Happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to have you here, and I was glad to connect with you in Austin. So uh, for those who don't really know much about you, uh, why don't you give us the, the rundown? Who are you, and uh, how did you kind of get started in Bitcoin? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, my name's Alex. I'm a software engineer. I work on Bitcoin Lightning mainly. Um, yeah, I, I got started in Bitcoin two-ish years ago at a company called NCR. And as part of my job, I was in like a software innovation lab. And with that, I got exposed to a lot of different technologies, including Bitcoin and Bitcoin Lightning. So uh, through that job, kind of got addicted to Bitcoin and addicted to Lightning. Um, 
And then about a year ago, I started working at a place called Block, uh, Block Spaces and Block Spaces uh, at that job, I've been building uh, solutions for businesses uh, to send, receive and account for uh, Bitcoin. Um, yeah, but it's been great from Atlanta, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like Atlanta is a big developer kind of scene. Is that, I guess, kind of a, did, did that scene kind of influence you to get into, you know, the dev space or anything like that? Or were you kind of, I guess, more uh, program minded prior to finding Bitcoin? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was in like software engineering circles, like, like prior to that, but um, it definitely helped me get addicted to Bitcoin. Um, yeah. Like uh, my, my, actually my, really my first exposure was, was my boss and my last job told me to go to this meetup called Atlanta bit devs. And I, I started going and, and they were in the middle of a reading group called, uh, for a book called mastering the lightning network. Um, and that was my first exposure to Bitcoin was just going through this basically textbook about the lightning network. Um, and then uh, went to TabConf that first year, the Atlanta Bitcoin conference. And, and that's, uh, that blew my mind and met a bunch of cool Bitcoin developers. Um, and yeah, I guess the rest is history. <laughs> uh, now I like help organize sometimes every once in a while I speak at the devs. Um, but still go every week. Um, but yeah, no, Atlanta scene is definitely growing. Um, it's got a strong, I mean, we have like a bunch of meetups, like there, there's like four meetups a month at least. Um, and then a big conference once a year. So. Yeah. So, uh, we'll dive into the conference a little bit too, because I think it is pretty interesting the format that t the tab conference is. So, I mean, it's not obviously a sales pitch or anything like that for that, but you know, how is the tab conf maybe a little bit different than some of these other Bitcoin related conferences? And uh, yeah, what kind of drew you to that? Sure. Uh, TabConf is, uh, I call it like the, the premier technical Bitcoin conference in the world. It gets turnout like any other, or unlike any other conference in, in the developer community. Um, and, uh, but with that being said, it's not a conference for everybody in my mind. It's honestly probably a terrible first exposure to Bitcoin, unless you're already technically minded. Um, because they don't cater to, to the lowest common denominator. It, it, but however, if you are technical, and you're already interested in Bitcoin, it's it's like a candy land. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the the every talk is technical, more or less. And, and uh, the, the people and the, the content is, is uh, yeah, it's unlike anything else. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like that, right? It's like more targeted towards developers. I know that there's a lot of workshops and other things like that, too. So it seems almost like a kind of a collaborative effort when it comes to that. But Let's take it back to the beginning. All right. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people in the Bitcoin space maybe know or have heard of the Lightning Network, but they never really sat in front of like a developer and kind of like had them break it down. So, you know, other than it being like a layer two, oh, well, let, let's back it up. So explain like the differences between a layer one, layer two, and uh, yeah, what the Lightning Network basically is. And my, my dog's bug, I forgot I left my dog outside, so I'll, I'm going to be listening, but I uh, got to go let him in real quick. All good. Yeah. And I'll start from the top. So you, you got some time. Uh, so first, uh, Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is money. It's it's uh, money. And it's uh, the goal is to use it not just to store money like in a bank account, but also uh, with payments and moving money around. However, uh, Bitcoin has some uh, fundamental uh, hurdles to get over in order to become a payment rail of the future. Um, and the, the, the two biggest things are... Uh, our speed of settlement, you know, it takes 10-ish minutes to send a transaction um, at minimum. And um, 
the cost of setting a single transaction is, is too high. Um, you know, it can sometimes cost like a few bucks to send a, a, just a simple uh, payment. And that's too much for, for like the card networks or when compared to the card networks. So what do we do? You know, we, we got this awesome money, the best money in the world, but we want to move it around really fast. And that's where Lightning comes in. So Lightning is a layer two on top of Bitcoin that allows you to move the same Bitcoin around, but uh, at the speed of Lightning. So uh, we take Bitcoin, which takes like 10-ish minutes to, to settle uh, on chain, and we can settle Lightning payments in under a second. Um, but it, the, the cool part is that we're not compromising any of the security or um, like decentralization concerns uh, uh, with um, Bitcoin. So we, we get to glean all of the benefits and, and all the innovation behind Bitcoin, but we now can move it around at the speed of the internet. So then what are some of the compromises that Lightning makes in order to increase those speeds? Yeah, uh, compromises that Lightning makes. Um, I know. My, my, so my, it's my not as simple. You know, no, it's a good question. It's like, so, so, uh, so Lightning, it's it's a really bulletproof, rock solid protocol. You know, it's it's there isn't. I mean, it's got its growing pains, and it's trying to figure out how to make solve all, all of its problems. But um, I mean, one of the big things is that um, getting Bitcoin on chain is is very very simple. You just generate an address, and then you have somebody send you Bitcoin. That's it. You know, you don't have to do anything else. But in order to transact on the Lightning network. Uh, you know, actually, first with on-chain Bitcoin, you're sending money between addresses, effectively. Like, like my address sends your address Bitcoin. But on Lightning, it, it doesn't work like that. You you have a Lightning node, and the node sends Bitcoin to another Lightning node. So what does that mean? That means that everybody that that transacts over over Lightning needs to be needs to have a node or or, or have access to a Lightning node. Um, so does that make sense? Like the difference, uh, it's like one of them is just like a, it's, it's an identifier, it's a username. The other one is like a piece of hardware. Yeah, no, I mean, I get it. I get that makes sense and, and everything like that, but you know, all right. So then to go from lightning back to on chain, then essentially would it just be, you know, I, I guess, what are the intricacies behind that? And, you know, when they talk about, uh, you know, the lightning network and kind of, uh, you know, the overall volume, right, right now, it seems like the volume keeps increasing and everything like that. So, you know, for those who, who, might, who might not, I guess, understand all that. So what is, I guess, why is there a difference between the Bitcoin transaction volume and the overall like lightning kind of uh, lightning network volume? Yeah, so, so Bitcoin transactions and lightning payments, they, they behave somewhat differently. Like um, with Bitcoin transactions, you're, you're, uh, you craft a transaction, like you say, I want to send this amount of money to this person, and then you publish that for the whole network. And then the the, the Bitcoin network takes the transaction, includes it into a block, and then basically processes the transaction. Um, what does that mean? Well, that means that you have to get everybody on board to, to see your transaction. Like everybody the network sees when you when you pay somebody on, on Bitcoin. But when, when you're on the Lightning Network, you just have a relationship between two people. Effectively, what the Lightning Network is doing is you're just passing around these like signed checks. Like if Bitcoin is like a check that you fill out and like you have to get a cash at the at the bank, you know, Lightning is just pre-signing checks and then just handing a signed check that could be cashed in later. That's effectively, that's really what's going on. Um, so what, what that means is that you, you can you can settle the payment a lot faster. 
Um, I don't know. Well, sorry. What was your question again? Uh, no, no, that's right. I mean, I, I don't know. To, the way I kind of understand lightning and correct me if I'm wrong is essentially like lightning allows you to almost like stack a bunch of transactions onto one big Bitcoin transaction. So effectively kind of uh, divvying up that big fee, making the fee on the lightning network significantly smaller and making that speed very quick. Because like you said, it's essentially just transacting between, you know, two people instead of going on the on chain, uh, going through the full Bitcoin network um, and kind of doing it that way. And then, you know, after, you know, a certain amount of time, if you want to bring that back onto chain, you can. Um, but, you know, is that kind of, I guess, along along the right lines or, or yeah. am I mixed up here? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, the analogy that I really like is the sign check thing. It's like Bitcoin, you get the sign checks, you hand it to somebody else, they have to cash it into the bank and now they have the money in their account. Um, also, obviously, these are analogies. You're not literally cashing a check in. Um, but uh, with Lightning, you saw the, the signed checks, except you just don't cash it in immediately. It's, I'm, in order to send you a payment, I, I sign a check, send it to you, and then you just hold on to it until we're done doing business. And, and anytime that we, we send a new check to each other with, with, within our relationship, uh, you, you void the old check. So you can always cash in this check and, and settle, settle the, the, it's called a channel. But, um, but you, you don't have to, and you, you, you until you until you settle, uh, you can send these payments back and forth really, really fast. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like the the growing use for for Lightning Network is more on like the remittance payments of things, uh, especially you know with like companies like Strike, um, you know Cash App, and some of these others that are kind of implementing the Lightning Network in order to help transact speeds of you know dollars or whatever fiat currency you're using. Uh, so you know what I guess what is your opinion kind of on that use case? And, uh, you know, where do you see, I guess, the future of, uh, I guess, the Lightning Network, like where it's going to go? Do you think it's going to be, I guess, along the lines of kind of what, what we're lining out here and what we're seeing, like continued remittance? Or do you think, um, you know, we're going to maybe move a little bit more towards like use, utilizing Bitcoin, the asset and kind of pricing things in sets, so to speak? Um, I think both. I know, it's you know, a tough question. So I'm coming at you yeah. hard today. Alex. I'm sorry. It's all good. Um yeah, both both Bitcoin is a hard asset, but and, and Lightning is a payment rail. But uh, no, I mean the reason why remittance is exciting, the reason why remittance is, is really hot in Lightning is because it's like the perfect, simplest, like low hanging fruit um, way to improve on, on on a payment rail. You know, uh, what people people don't get is, is how insane Western Union's business model is. They basically like move money around and they take thirty percent sometimes. So like, I want to send money to my family in El Salvador. Let's say, and I send them a hundred dollars. They might get seventy, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, the, the, okay, and they don't actually say that. Like they take like like something like twelve percent in fees, but then they take a lot of money in the spread. Um, so so countries that don't have the same currency, like El Salvador uses dollars, so it's not as bad. But but for countries that don't aren't using dollars, um, they take uh, a massive transaction fee, and then they take they take money in the spread. That they 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 lie to you about the exchange rate, and they make it more favorable for them. Um, so yeah, it, it, the reason why remittance is, is, is really hot on Lightning is because it's, it's by far the easiest use case, the most obvious use case for a payment network that, that can improve upon what we already have. Um, yeah, like it, it's, okay, it's the most broken use case of payments that was in the world is remittances. Um, some of the other like use cases for payments, like you can think of like going to a store and like paying, you know, it's already pretty good. <laughs> the cards work well, despite, you know, all the, the it being built on the weak foundation or, so to speak, but um, 
yeah, like like the the experience of, of paying with lightning at a, like a, a gas station or or at a point of sale isn't as game changing as paying lightning for remittances. Um, yeah, like like the card networks work pretty well. <laughs> so um, anyway, I mean it's gonna happen. Like like we're, we're making progress, but it's just uh, it's it's not a people don't like latch onto the use cases as, as quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I, and I agree with you. And, you know, there, there's that other kind of hidden cost in there when it comes to remittances of just like your time to go to the, the Western Union, right? I mean, like to my understanding, I don't think Western Union has an app or anything like that where you can send it directly over there. You have to like physically go into a store and, you know, in some of these, uh, you know, impoverished countries, it brings in the, the fact of a potential violence or something like that, you know, that, you know, gangs can hang outside right, at Western Union. So, you know, yeah. you need to pay off That's somebody good. to get a little protected or something like that. I mean, those stories are like heartbreaking. Like you hear about, you know, uh, family members sending money to their their family in El Salvador and then on the way to or from the Western Union collection site, you know, they get whacked and, and they get their remittance money steal, stolen for them because, you know, there's physical security involved in money. And when you're holding cash and you can just, you know, steal, steal from somebody, it's bad. So, yeah, I mean, that's another cool innovation about Lightning is that, fact that it's purely digital so that you never have to go somewhere yeah exactly so. and i mean it's it's the digital money right that that's the big aspect of it and so you know on that note um you know where do you kind of like to see i guess lightning go in the next next couple of years what are some like cool maybe i guess like lightning projects that you're um you know maybe thinking about or like looking forward to see like come to development or fruition i guess yeah um uh, as far as like like progress in, in the space, I think the biggest black eye on on Bitcoin Lightning or the, the biggest unaddressed area right now is is Bitcoin for business. It's like a lot of Bitcoiners really care about user facing problems, but very very few people working on Bitcoin care about business facing problems. And if we want the world to start adopting Bitcoin, then somebody has to cater to the businesses. So like the at least okay so. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's a whole slew of business-facing problems. If businesses want to want to transact in Bitcoin, I mean, they have to think about like like accounting and taxes and invoicing, um, and then um, and then reconciling their books with their existing payment system, and and it, like it, it's a bunch of non-trivial problems. Um, but uh, very few people are working on that in, in the space. So, uh, and okay, and the exciting part about it is that like if we solve some of these business-facing problems, then you might see a big announcement that. Um, massive retailers or or massive uh or big, big companies you, you could see uh hyper bitcoinization or you can see uh, the the transition into hard money uh happen a lot quicker until those business facing problems are solved businesses won't be able to do business in bitcoin and that's a big part of getting people on it doesn't matter how many people are saving in sats if if the, the they, they keep having to to cross over to the fiat world every time that they leave their house yeah, I know you're exactly right. And I know you guys at Blockspaces are working on, uh, you know, QuickBooks integration with Lightning Payments and other things like that. So I know of a few, a few companies that are kind of working on that. But it seems like the, the biggest hurdle for me, uh, like when it comes on the business side is maybe, uh, you know, I guess the fear at, when it comes to like taxation and just uh, almost like the user interface kind of level where it's like, okay, you know, this business is has multiple people in line, so to speak. And, uh, you know, in order to pay, you have to, you know, one, pull out your phone, 
which I mean, you know, you could do tap to pay or something like that. So that's not exactly a big hurdle, but then you got to open an app and then, you know, pay with Bitcoin, scan the QR code. So it's like a multi multi-variable steps too, when it comes to the consumer as well. And, you know, the businesses, I feel like just don't really want to, I guess, uh, you know, deal with, deal with that kind of hassle when it wouldn't be a huge percentage of their customers. Um, yeah. So, you know, outside of like, maybe the, I guess the, the QuickBooks or, you know, the accounting services, do you think that like, what's, I guess, the next step that you think that businesses are really, I guess, uh, I guess another choke point for the businesses that, that need some improvement on? Um, I think you hit on one thing that like, I don't think about a lot, which, but it's still a big problem, which is um, like, how do you get all of the wallets to work the same way? You know, there's several different like pieces of protocol and, and there's various adoption um, with each protocol across the industry. Like, like it's, it's not nobody. People have not agreed on how to do some like features properly. Like one example is like uh, refunds. Like with, with, with credit cards, refunds are pretty trivial because the, the payment doesn't actually settle until after you leave the store. So if you want to do a refund, it's pretty easy just to, to, to revert the payment um, because the money hasn't moved yet. But with Lightning, when you, when you make a payment, the payment actually settles, you know, that the money leaves your, your lightning node and it, it goes into the stores. Um, so for a refund, you have to effectively make another payment. They, they have to just pay you back, um, which I mean, it, it sounds easy, but making that actually happen isn't, isn't so simple. Like, like one, one example is, is that, um, okay. So something in lightning is, is all payments today are mostly all, all payments today are triggered by you scanning, like what's called like an invoice. So if I want to pay you, you're going to present me a QR code and I'm going to scan the QR code. And then my lightning node is going to pay your lightning node through that, that QR code. And that makes sense for a, uh, for like a, a store, you know, I'm going to go to your store and I'm going to buy something off of you. I'm going to scan your QR code at the register and I'm going to pay you. But for a refund, well, now I'm going to, as the, the consumer, I'm going to have to type in how much I want for my refund and show you and you're going to scan my QR code. That's a, that doesn't make sense. That's a bad experience. So there's talks about how do how can we make like a push payment? How can we have a, a QR code that I can scan for you to pay me? And there's several different ways to do it. Uh, one way is it's called LNURL or LNURL withdraw. And that's one idea. It's, it's like a protocol spec um, using something called LNURL. Uh, and then there's other people who say, no, we shouldn't use LNURL. We should have something else called offers and, and invoice requests. And that's a different kind of QR code. Well, the fact that we have disagreements means that not all the wallets work the same way. So as, as a merchant, it's like, what do I do? I have to understand this, this complicated landscape and I have to present you different QR codes. And you as a user have to understand which one your wallet supports. It's like, it's ridiculous. It's like, that's not going to happen. So uh, until the, the, the protocol community kind of comes up with an answer or, or we, we consolidate on, on, on some uh, consistency on, on these use cases. Uh, it's going to be really hard for, for uh, merchants to, to, to rely upon um, lighting. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I kind of agree with that too, because I was just having this conversation with some friends today. It's like, you know, that my preferred lightning wallet that I use is moon. Um, but you know, for something like Noster, in order to receive zaps, it's not really good because the, the LN URL is only available for like 24 hours. So in order to kind of continue using that, I would need to update the LN URL every single time I receive a zap on Nostr or every single day, 
and, and the off chance that I would use uh, or I would receive it a zap while, you know, I don't know, typing or I don't even know what you call it. I guess posting on Noster. Um, so instead, I, I use the, yeah, exactly. So instead, I use the wallet of Satoshi because that's a little bit more, you know, stable in, in doing that. But like I said, I, I'd rather use the the user interface of Moon. So there are some like intricacies when it comes to, you know, not only like I guess Lightning or just like you know, just overall, just like apps. I think in Bitcoin that need a lot of development. Um, so I mean. Yeah, I mean, uh, it is interesting, and I don't know if it's like necessarily a good thing to have like some sort of standard, but I think that there's like a few things that I guess every single, maybe it's a Lightning wallet or every single you know hot wallet on the phone or something like that should have some sort of, I guess like similar way of operating. So you know, mm-hmm. kind of like Visa, Mastercard, American Express, like these, all these companies, they all have the same credit card. Uh, not the same, but, you know, the same kind of thing where, you know, these these uh, point of sale terminals don't have to accommodate for, you know, multiple different wallets uh, or multiple. Yeah, different I mean, there's, there's consistency, like yeah. there's consistency. And if there's any differences, they hide it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, but I mean, like every single point of sale terminal now seemingly has, you know, the tap, the insert, the chip and the swipe. So it gives you the three options you know, with the user can choose whichever one, like generally speaking, I, I think majority of cards now have all three options, but you know, um, I guess it, it I just depends on like whatever the user wants to do at the end of the day. So I think that is kind of like, I guess the next step when it comes to Bitcoin for me that I see for like kind of consumers to a either use that or use, you know, use Bitcoin or, or the lightning network to, to, to pay in something. Um, because it seems like now, you know, like with the remittances, it's great for, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, countries and people that need it. Um, you know, I, I think I just saw Strike just rolled out in, in Vietnam, I believe, too. So I, I know they recently rolled out in the Philippines. So, you know, great development that's going on in that space. But, um, you know, you know, they also announced last year at Bitcoin Miami that, you know, that a lot of these point of sale terminals now can implement their API and, you know, have us pay in Bitcoin at, say, Walmart or some of these bigger retail stores. Um, but I think, like you said, there is a lot of hurdles when it comes to a business adopting it that, you know, whether it's accounting or whatever, and the, the hurdle of just like ease of use of like that that sale terminal. Like if I could just go in and, I don't know, tap my phone or I know Coin Corner has a card where you can load some sats on it. And you could do like the tap to pay on certain point of sales terminals. Like I think if that was implemented a little bit more, maybe like stateside, we'd get more Bitcoiners, I guess, paying uh, as long as they're they're the kind of Bitcoiner that's, I guess, more or less uh, privy to that odd idea. Because I sure. think a lot still, you know, I guess, holding on for dear life uh, uh, onto their sats. But I don't know. Like, what yeah. what's your overall opinion on all that? Um. Yeah, like like th- this this discussion is good. And it's exciting for a couple of reasons. Like, uh, okay, I, personally, I don't think it's actually like a realistic. I don't think it's realistic for for Bitcoiners to convince the world to start using Lightning. Like, if we market it that way, like Lightning isn't that important to most people. But what would be awesome? Is, okay, the the right way to do it in my mind is we we just sell people that we have an alternative payment rail that's just better, faster, cheaper than anything that you have. And then we just hide it all. Like imagine, okay, so like one one big problem with like the point of sale space is, is like, how do you accept payments from 
Venmo, Cash App, and all and Zelle and all of these other apps. Like uh, you know, they're all proprietary and they all have their own their own rails. Like you can accept from Cash App, but if you like, oh, like if you're going around and you see like a street performer, you'll often see that they have like six different QR codes printed out. Uh, you know, for all the different tip jars so that they can market to whatever apps people are using. You know, that's a problem for, for user experience at a point of sale. You don't want to have to present the user six QR codes and they have to like focus on the one that they have. So what if we say that, okay, we have an alternative where, where uh, we, we go up to Venmo and say, hey, uh, if you integrate this payment rail into your app, now you are linked into the universal payment rail. It's like if you, if, and, and Cash App's doing the same thing and, and Strike and, and if we go to each of these, these, if they all implement Lightning, then now there's one universal QR code that will work for all these apps. And frankly, like that's a really compelling case for, for like point of sale manufacturers because they've been trying to crack this code for a while. Like how do you get all these neobanks? How do you get all these wallet apps that people are using on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, and how do you accept payment from all of them at once? And, well, if, if you, as a point of sale, accept, from, accept uh, payments for over Lightning and... Now you can tell all of these companies to say, hey, if you guys adopt the standard, uh, it's not our standard, just a global payment standard. Um, now we can accept payments from your apps too. So um, like I, I think that's like a real way that, that we can actually do adoption and, and, and retailers. Yeah, I think I think you're right there too. But I think uh, a big hurdle that I've heard from a couple, I can't remember the last place I heard it. Um, or maybe it was on uh, the Canadian Bitcoiners. I was listening to, they, they had a recent episode with Francis Puyon of Bull Bitcoin, but he said essentially that, you know, uh, the Lightning Network transactions maybe take, I guess, like 10% of their transactions per se, but of the problems that they have, it's like 85% of the reason that they have Lightning. to speak with customer service is, is through Lightning. So, you know, I guess like... Yeah. When it comes to like the ease of use or maybe some of the difficulties with lightning like what are some improvements like just overall that that can that can make it easier i guess for for some of the businesses to to implement lightning in order to you know kind of uh yeah like backdoor bitcoin in, in its way in yeah I, I, so the reason why there's so many problems with lightning there is for like a, a specific technical reason and and that is that uh both the sender and receiver have to have access to, to liquidity on Lightning in order for a payment to go through. And every time that you like pay somebody, you're you're finding a path between my node and your node, and you have to find liquidity on every route or on every hop in the route. So um, if there's one hop that they have bad information about or, or that, that doesn't have enough liquidity or the, the sender doesn't have liquidity on their side or the receiver doesn't have it on their side, then the payment doesn't go through. So, so everybody has to be doing their job very, very well. I mean, it's all, I mean, you think of like the internet, you know, it's like, is it uh, in the early days of the internet, if you go to Google and then the page doesn't load, people are going to be calling Google and say, why isn't your page loading? And you say, you don't have internet. It's like in the same way that Google has, has to have access to the, the internet uh, to be broadcasting their service. So the best thing the business is going to do is just make sure that their, um, like that they, their services have access to liquidity um, and, then if, if both parties, if both the sender and receiver have access to liquidity, then, then the payment should go through. Um, however, not every wallet app is uh, managing liquidity as well as every other. So uh, that's where a lot of like the, the I, I'm assuming, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, Bulbs, Bitcoins. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming like yeah, a lot of the, the problems with, with payments failing and lightning is because of pathfinding. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not exactly uh, exactly asking you to dive into that that full issue or anything like that. But you know, on the on the liquidity end, um, you know, it, it almost seems like with, from like a business perspective too. You know, if you have like some sort of lightning node, do you think like at a certain point in time, then it's like okay, you know, once you have X amount or something like that, and maybe somebody wants to withdraw that and put it, uh, you know, maybe in cold storage or you know take it off their lightning node that's on their point of sale terminal into something else to go buy other goods or services or something like that. You know, it is it going to be, I guess, to a certain point where it's like, hey, you know, on these point of sale terminals. We know like you go through, I don't know, X amount of transactions throughout, you know, I don't know, a day, say, um, where it's going to where it's going to require some more people with like, I, I guess, Bitcoin accounting backgrounds that understand the lightning network. Whereas, you know, if you're at this grocery store or this restaurant that's getting paid in lightning um, or with Bitcoin on lightning, that you understand that you're going to need X amount of liquidity throughout the day uh, in order to like yeah, send transactions. It's got to be hidden in my mind. It's like the, the the people, okay, like not every, just like not every business has to think about setting up their credit card payment rails. They, they hire somebody to do it for them or they, they, they pay Visa or they pay, you know, another card, like they, they pay with Square or something to handle it for them. Companies and businesses are not going to worry about liquidity or even accounting in the future. Like like this, the, the, the onus is on the, the Bitcoin companies to make this stuff easy to use and, and to integrate it into the existing business systems. Like, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a fantasy. That's a thing that like annoys me about Bitcoiners is that like they, they just think everybody is going to like be super savvy and learn like public cryptography. And and they, they assume that people are going to everybody's going to be running their own node. It's like, no, that's not going to happen. It's like we're going to have to find a way to make it so easy to use this technology that it is incorporates into people's everyday lives without them having to change how they think. It's like we have to have a way of of creating the same experiences that people are used to um with this new technology um and then for the things we can't do like 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 the, the things the things we can't completely emulate like like cold storage you know we got to find a easy way for people to do that properly but uh for, for stuff like everyday payments it's like it's not an option for for liquidity to be a constant issue it's like people have to be able to, to have payments without thinking about it then would it, would it be maybe a, yeah, no, I agree with you there too, because I'm just thinking about like the small business owners who, are, who which is what I think, I guess, light, using lightning and Bitcoin benefits the most right now, because, you know, with inflation and other things like that, that 3% fee that Visa, MasterCard and, you know, 7% that American Express takes is, you know, definitely going to hurt somebody's business when they're not having as many transactions as say like a Walmart or a McDonald's or whatever, where, you know, they can minimize that spread, that spread, you know, at, I don't know, your local Chinese food place or your local, uh, I don't know, hamburger shop or whatever it is like that, that's going to be more valuable to them. And on that note, they, they probably don't, if that spread is something that matters to them, they're not going to want to hire somebody, you know, to do some accounting for them, just like you're saying, just because like they're going on Bitcoin. So it's kind of like, you know, well, I'm getting rid of this, uh, 3% spread making it, I don't know, 1% or whatever it is, less than 1%, um, yeah. depending on, you know, whether you're using like something like Oshi or something like that. Um, and then, you know, now I have to hire somebody that's taking up that other 2%. It just doesn't really seem to make any sense. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. Where, yeah, we, we basically need to have it. So it's just like seamless, but it seems like we're kind of, uh, you know, we're moving along. Right. Uh, but, but it seems like we're still a decent ways away. 
uh, well, you're as somebody who's like kind of working in the weeds of, of this uh, kind of aspect, like helping integrate with business, like where do you think we are kind of in this cycle? Uh, I think we're basically, it's incredibly nebulous still. I mean, it, it's super early. There's, there's like under five companies really working on business facing problems in Bitcoin, which is absurd to me. Like it, it blows my mind. I mean, there's like ZapRite, there's like us, there's, I mean, like strike to some degree, but they're, they're, they have holes in their, their stuff. Um, yeah. And no, I mean, there, there's not that many players in the space. So uh, we're, we're starting to uncover. I, it blows my mind. Like, a, I mean, we, we've had lightning for now a few years and, and this is coming. I'm surprised that somebody that actually, that more people aren't, aren't working on this stuff because that, it seems like that's where the gold mine is. Um, if this is going to be, if, if what we believe is true, which is that lightning and Bitcoin is going to become the payments and money of the future, then it seems like a pretty good bet as far as the business goes. So, um, yeah, no, it's early and it's early. Yeah, for sure. But it seems like there, there's, I guess, more of a push for de developers. Maybe it's just because I was just in Austin for Satspy and the, the hackathon and other things like that. But it seems like more of these things are kind of popping up. You know, I, while I was in Austin, I attended the Lit Devs, which I never even knew was a, really a thing. I guess it was like the eighth one in Austin. And I'm sure yes, that there's if, if there's not one here uh, or if there's not one in Atlanta, I'm sure I'm sure that it, as big as the developer scene is there that you know, it will kind of, uh, you know, articulate or, or start there as well. And from my understanding, the lit devs came from San Francisco area to Austin, and that's kind of how it got started. So, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, what is, uh, like, because because there's already, like, a lot of bit devs meetups and kind of things like that, like, what, I guess, what is the main difference between the, the, the bit devs and the lit devs other than, like, working on, you know, lightning and Bitcoin, like what are the, like dumb it down for me. Talk to me like I'm a fifth grader. Like what are the main intricacies that are different between like being able to be a developer on like Bitcoin core opposed to lightning? I mean, they're pretty similar. It's uh, at least, okay. The meetups are pretty similar. Yeah. First addressing the meetups, uh, let and bit devs feel the same unless you really know what's going on. <laughs> like, uh, if, if you're, unless you're a very technical person, like both meetups are not for you. <laughs> I mean, everybody should go, everybody should try it out. But like, but um, I mean, they're uh, similar to TabConf. LitDevs and BitDevs typically do not cater to the, the lowest common denominator. The, the, the conversation is technical, um, which can unfortunately scare people away. Um, so yeah, the, the Bitcoin or the BitDevs meetups typically focus on... Actually, that's not even true. So like most cities only have one technical meetup and it's called BitDevs. And then they talk about Bitcoin and Lightning and anything else that's relevant. So like the, the, the developer scene, the cares at the meetup. You know, like they, they talk about Nostra too a lot. There's no uh, not devs, Nost devs meetups, but uh, people still talk about what they're doing. Um, but in places like, I, I, I didn't know that there was lit devs in the Bay or in, in, on the West Coast, but um, in places like the, the Bay and Austin, they, they have such a surplus of, of developer talent that, that there's a market to have more than just one or two or three technical Bitcoin meetups a month. Um, and that's why they... Uh, they pop up. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're fun. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, like, honestly, like, uh, like, I don't go to book clubs, because I don't, like, read that many books, you know, and, and it's, it's always impressive to me that people that don't, that, that aren't, like, developers and, and aren't, like, immersed in code, get value out of bits as and lits as, um, like, obviously, everybody's welcome to come, 
Um, it's just uh, always like a, I'm a little bit nervous. Like if, if I see like new faces about how they're going to take the information, I don't, I, I, I just don't want to scare them off. Um, so, well, yeah, I mean, as somebody, I, I know how to code, but I wouldn't say like I'm a developer or anything like by any means, like close to that. But I think for me, when I was attending, you know, I attended bit devs and lit devs while I was in Austin. I think it's just kind of cool to, to hear people break it down. Um, you know, once you guys, guys kind of get into the, like the intricacies of like what's really going on, the code and other things like that, you know, that that's kind of over my head or maybe I zone out a little bit. But like, I, I think like just hearing what you guys are working on or, you know, just like kind of understanding the thought process when it comes to coding. I mean, like I have experience doing it, so maybe I'm not the best example, but, um, you know, just kind of like diving in and like understanding know where what you're trying to build and see if there's any avenue that i could like maybe add some input or i can like ask some some dumb questions you know just to kind of figure out what's going on um i think like overall it's just like an interesting side of bitcoin that you know there i think there's like really kind of three silos that that people kind of find their way into it's either like the philosophical side of things which you know isn't really technical but it, it uh, outlines like all the things that you know, the fiat currency and everything like that kind of uh, breaks down. Then there's, you know, the the developer side of things where, you know, you're getting real deep into the code. You're trying to solve some of these problems that, you know, maybe Bitcoin or Lightning uh, has or build some application that you think can improve or like just help the user experience, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's the, the last silo, which is like the mining industry where so like understanding like energy and kind of utilizing all that. So, you know, I think, no matter which silo you're kind of like find yourself in when it comes to Bitcoin, I think like understanding at least on like a surface level, all three of them is, is pretty valuable. And because like, you know, developers who have some sort of, you know, uh, ph philosophical thought about something can figure out how to build that, um, you know, whether it's mining, like maybe there's some some way, shape or form that you can, I don't know, uh, come up with some sort of app or something like that to help um understand you know some of these pools or something like that you know like i'm sure brains has a bunch of developers that you know helped with all that with that with uh you know their things and stuff like that too so you know i i think like for those who might be intimidated with bit devs because i i had that honestly um you know when tampa first kind of brought the bit devs down uh benny builder your coworker, uh who and uh fellow uh fellow champion of uh sats by hackathon um, you know, I, I think, uh, I was a little intimidated to go to that. I mean, granted, I usually record on Thursday, so, you know, there was a little, mm -hmm. I guess, built in excuse for me, but I think like going to that now, um, it kind of like helps me see some of the, some of the issues with, you know, some of the products, um, that we're using and like maybe throw out some ideas as to, you know, is this a big hurdle that I'm just like, I don't know, it's unrealistic or is this something that, you know, it is something that that can be implemented. It's just somebody hasn't really thought about it yet or spent the time to really implement it. So I don't know. I just kind yeah. of word bonded. So let's hear what you have to think about all that. Yeah, um, there's definitely value in understanding that things exist, like new features, even if even if the the even if you get lost in the technical weeds of like how it works and, and what's going on, but just understanding what people are working on um, so that the, the uh, more people and product-minded people can can uh, can start mulling over how this is going to look and feel in the real world. You know, there's not enough people doing that. 
at the there's not enough people working on that part of of innovation. I, I think um, because we get a lot of like protocol innovation and and then features or or um, or like yeah technical features don't get used for for years until somebody at the product mine stumbles across it accidentally. Um, but yeah, no, uh, it's not okay. Another thing is like not every meetup is technical. You know, like there, there's other Bitcoin meetups. Uh, around the country, like Atlanta has Atlanta Bit Plebs, in addition to Atlanta Bit Devs, and Atlanta Bit Plebs is the non-technical meetup. I mean, it still gets deep, and people still talk about important topics. It's just not focused on protocol and not focused on code. It's focused on, uh, uh, like, yeah, maybe the, the philosophical side of Bitcoin, as well as uh, like like workshops and like how to do how to do things from like a, a user's perspective. Um, they've been very successful and there's other meetups around the country like austin has one like the the, uh, the austin bitcoin meetup which i think is the first meetup in austin um there that that's a quote-unquote non-technical meetup and then there's another one in nashville that's like the nashville bitcoin meetup or national national bitcoiners or something like that uh, that's also um not a technical meetup necessarily um so yeah there's, there's a lot of places for people to think and get involved in bitcoin um that being a developer yeah. And I mean, I think like even non-technical people kind of have something to add to the developer, I guess, process, because, you know, I, I guess like the, the ease of use aspect. Right. I mean, maybe some sometimes that's overlooked when you're in the weeds of things um, because, you know, you just get get an idea and kind of get set on it and you get building and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when somebody uh, who's the actual end user you know, your target audience, so to speak, is is using it like, well, I don't really care about that or like, you know, channels, for example. So like we're in uh, in Tampa Bay, BitDevs, um, you know, I kind of highlighted it when in the podcast interview with Benny Builder, uh, Benny Hoddle uh, or Benny Blader, whatever you want to call him. Um, he uh, we're, we're building like a, a Bay wallet, so to speak, like a lightning wallet for Tampa Bay. And so. Um, one of the topics that's come up a lot recently is like the channel aspects of the Lightning Wallet. Like, should that end user even have access to you know, open and closed channels or like you look at the channels or anything like that? Yeah. And, you know, uh, majority of people who are not like the developer aspects of that, like say, I don't want any part of that. I don't want to understand or have to mess around with any of that. But, you know, maybe a more technical person would want to see some of that. So... It's nah. like, well, it's like, OK, I, I have a very, a very strong opinion on this matter. Users okay, do not right. care about channels. You, it does not improve the user experience whatsoever to even expose any idea of liquidity or channels to them. Like, well, I think the same conversation or a similar conversation inside block faces. And, and uh, it's like there, there is never going to be a future where every user or, or the average user or even the sophisticated user cares about channel management. It's like we got to find a way to hide it. We got to find a way to. I mean, and people have found ways like just in time channels are pretty cool um, where, where channels open automatically when a payment comes in instantly. So so you don't have to ever worry about channel management. But uh, as far as users are concerned, users will not. They will never care about channel management. They want to use the feature without caring about how it works. So uh, we got to I mean, as a community, we got to separate those two things and have and, and, and stop mixing the mixing the peas with the carrots. It's uh yeah, keep the food separate, right? I mean, eat it one at a time. But, uh, you know, yeah. uh, outside of Bitcoin, right, there's a lot of things going on just like macroeconomic wise. So we'll touch on this a little bit at the end here uh, about like this, this whole banking system, right? So we're having kind of like SVB 
and uh, supposedly like 183 other banks in the United States are potentially having some issues with you know, uh, allowing customers to get their funds, you know, there's a bank run, um, you know, they're, they're losing a lot of money when it comes to, um, you know, their bond portfolios and other things like that. There's a bunch of deep intricacies that we could go down that rabbit hole. I don't want to do any of that. I, my question is, is like, do you think that this is kind of going to hurt maybe, um, you know, on the outskirts of a lot of, uh, you know, maybe Bitcoin and like crypto related companies, because, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, I guess, like overall business, right? I mean, SVB was pretty well known as uh, being a lender when it came to a lot of these, uh, I guess, these crypto companies. I know that they lended to S uh, FTX and, uh, you know, some of these other maybe shitcoin casinos and other things like that. So, you know, outside of the, I guess, the development side of things where, you know, maybe it's a little bit more difficult to uh, or take some time to develop and make the user experience a little bit better, it seems like there there is a little bit of FUD maybe when it comes around to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin has been ripping, you know, uh, during all this crisis. So I guess what's your overall opinion on this kind of uh, this banking matter and uh, where do you think like Bitcoin goes from here? Yeah, well, I first should say that, uh, you know, this is somewhat outside of my area of expertise, macroeconomics, you know. Yeah, exactly. I know, but, but I, I, I get that. So, I mean, knowing that, though, um, you know. You like I said, you are on the development side, and you do deal with businesses and other things like that. Obviously, you know you're you're a lightning developer. You're not the sales guy, kind of coming in with the pitches and other things like that. So, but just knowing all that, like, what's what's kind of like your overall opinion on this? And uh, does it make you, uh, I guess, more bullish on Bitcoin in the short term? Um, and yeah, um, okay. So, so I think uh, there's a bunch of externalities with with you know, the, the banking system seeming to collapse. Like the, the first and most obvious thing is that the startup landscape is tougher. You know, if, if a lot of uh, companies are wrapped, like a lot of startups have money inside of this bank that goes down, you know, that's not good for those startups. Um, another externality is that, you know, the thing that blew up is the competitor to Bitcoin. It's like the, the traditional banking system is the, the, the enemy, the, the monster that Bitcoin is trying to slay. So with that being said, uh, I've, I've heard uh, from the grapevine that a lot of Bitcoin onboarding companies and, and like my first Bitcoin companies, um, they're getting a lot of organic inbound traffic from people that are afraid of the banking system now, uh, which and that is very good for Bitcoin. Um, that is exactly in the direct. I mean, not the fear isn't good necessarily, but but um, the realization that that uh, people need to find an alternative to this broken system. That's very good for Bitcoin. Um, so, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways to look at the situation. Um, like, and it's complicated, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, okay. So like Balaji's thing, uh, if, did, did you see Balaji's tweet? Yeah. So for those who didn't see it, why don't we, why don't we bring that up? Right. So Balaji said, um, I don't want to get the, the exact quote wrong, but it was something along the lines of like, like I'll bet you. Yeah, it's well. Okay, I mean, yeah, I mean, he basically bet this. Uh, was it a journalist, or he bet somebody that uh, Bitcoin was going to hit a million dollars a coin in the next ninety days, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's bananas by anybody's stretch of by any stretch of the imagination. It's bananas. A um, million dollars a coin, like really? 
Yeah. So you really yeah, expect it to go from yeah, that that uh, Bitcoin would go to a million dollars a coin. I'm still trying to find the tweet, um, but he said basically that Bitcoin would go to a million dollars a coin, and the U.S. Uh, would reach like hyperinflation in the next 90 days. Now, I mean, it sounds crazy, but if you kind of like, I guess, take a step back and look at the current situation here, you know, we, we do have like a kind of a banking crisis, right? I mean, so outside of SVB, there's like 183 other banks that have this issue potentially and could fail. And so, you know, what is a cog that the Fed has pulled previously uh, in order to combat some issues, uh, they just dump, dumped a bunch of liquidity. Now, yesterday, uh, you know, was a FOMC meeting. And um, instead of Jerome Powell kind of backing down and I guess like not raising rates, he's still raised by 25 basis points, which is kind of privy to the course of what he's been doing. Um, but, you know, he's kind of changed his tune a little bit. Maybe he'll reverse, maybe he won't. But essentially, like, you know, there, there is a chance he could dump another $2 trillion worth of liquidity into the system. So, you know, maybe it won't reach a million dollars a coin in the next 90 days. But I do think that there's like an aspect to what, what Balaji is saying where, you know, there is like whenever there's going to be trouble that's ensuing, the, the lever that the Fed keeps pulling is just dumping more liquidity in the market. So it'll be interesting to see if they basically like it's quantitative tightening when they keep raising interest rates and quantitative easing when they dump liquidity in the market. Essentially, they'll be doing the two of the same thing or the two opposites at the same time. They'll still be raising rates um, while dumping liquidity into the market and how Bitcoin reacts to that. I don't, I don't really know. So it'll be kind of, I guess, interesting to see, but yeah, like the only thing that has me worried about it, like, or the two things that has me worried about it is like one, the on-ramps uh, like to get Bitcoin, you know, people still need to use banks in order to, you know, buy and sell Bitcoin at this point. And if banks basically like uh, this, is where I think like the biggest issue could be is like, if, if a bank's failing, and you're dumping your money from, I don't know, I'm just using like a general normie example, but from your bank account to like a Coinbase or something like that, or to a strike or something along those lines where, you know, you're using this to buy Bitcoin. They could essentially just cut it off there and say like, hey, we're, we're not going to allow you to find some sort of alternative. Like you're going to have to keep your either your money in your bank account or, you know, uh, change it to a savings account where you can't like move your money quite as frequently you know there, there's some other rails that they could cut off and make it more difficult for bitcoin adoption and then too I like think I, know, I mean if they actually ahead. do that if they actually stop you from moving money around in your account like that's going to be the best thing for bitcoin possible <laughs> because like I mean, I think, people, yeah i think yeah. in the long term for sure but i think in the short term it's going to hurt right because then you're going to have to figure out how to get bitcoin and like you know my mom or dad uh, or my grandparents is is not going to be able to figure that out. I don't think. I, I think people will find a way if they actually say that no, you're not allowed to move your Bitcoin out of your account. I mean, everybody's going to find a way. You now there, yeah. there's going to be uh, news articles and then people publishing contents about how to do it properly, even with the the new sanctions or whatever, um, because everybody's going to be so desperate to to get their their money out of banks, um, even like like crypto ATMs or something people. Yeah, that's people fair. Find yeah, a way. I do have an episode where uh, I, I interviewed Hedy Wook, who's uh, who has like a full guide on how to get non KYC Bitcoin. Um, so 
uh, for those interested, that's that's a pretty interesting episode. And I've actually been sending that one around a lot lately because I've had a couple people ask me like, oh, how are you getting a non-KYC uh, Bitcoin or like using CoinJoiner or things like that? So I usually point them either to that episode or any of like BTC sessions, kind of, uh, I guess, coin joining videos or something along those lines. Like he has some great tools that you can use. Robosats. To find that. Yeah. Yeah. Robosats is, is it's pretty OP. Which one did you say? Brimbo sats? Is that what you said? Robo, Robo sats, R O B O sats. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to it's, look into uh, that. Uses, yeah. It's decentralized. Like uses, uh, actually, no, I don't know if it's actually decentralized, but it uses, uh, like it, it incorporates with lightning directly in like a hundred different payment options. So you can like buy, you could buy Bitcoin by like mailing Amazon gift cards in the mail and they'll send it, they'll send you back Bitcoin like over lightning. It's pretty, pretty cool. Wow. That is pretty awesome. Well, Alex, yeah. I do appreciate your time and kind of breaking down the Lightning Network and all the things that are kind of going around on it and maybe some of the hurdles, too. So uh, for those that are interested, why don't you tell them uh, where they can find you and what you got going on? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Alex Lewin. Yeah, it begins with an underscore. That's kind of annoying. But yeah, at underscore Alex Lewin on Twitter. Um, yeah, and I'll be at Bitcoin Plus Plus. So uh, I'll see you. If anybody wants to hang out in Austin like a month, I'll be there. Yeah, and you got your Noster uh, public key in your in your uh, Twitter bio as well for those who are on Noster and, and want to check that out. So be sure to give Alex a follow and uh, bug him at some of these uh, meetups and pick uh, or meetups or uh, conferences and pick his brain. Uh, my man's a my man's a hackathon champion. So Alex, I appreciate you coming in and dude. Uh, yeah, man, we'll have to have you back on maybe when some big development thing comes on. We'll have you, we'll have to have you and Benny on at the same time, I guess. That'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be, a, that'd be a party. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, man. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Later.